if Jesus had decided to come back Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'd been good with that. This Matthew 24 is not easy. And uh, been kind of kind of hesitant about today. So he didn't come, and I've got to preach Matthew 24. So here we go. Now, speaking of the coming of the Lord, I want to give you a, a, a brief update on uh, old Harold camping. You know the billboards around town saying that Judgment Day is happening May 21st, 2011. Old Harold Camping is uh, busy at work this last six days of, uh, of life as we know it. And uh, I heard, I read that there was one of the spokesmen of Harold Camping's group that actually said something about Texas. And I thought, yeah, this is interesting. I might read this to the church. And since we're all in Texas, I think it applies to us. So listen to what they say. This is the spokesman. He says, Harold Camping has some grave concerns for those people in Texas who have no access to electricity and therefore the internet and the radio. And uh, this, is, this is what he says. He says, the Bible is very clear. Salvation is unmerited. Cannot be achieved by good works or prayer. It is a pure act of God's grace. Good so far. The only hope available to Christians is to listen to Mr. Camping's radio program for instruction. Whoops. Just went off the deep end. But without power, the people in Texas may be damned. There's nothing we can do to help, and we just feel awful about it. Sure they do. I imagine they'll try to take shelter in local houses of worship, but that could even be more dangerous. Churches become apostate. They're deceitful tools of the devil. Time, though, is a crucial factor right now. Heaven's filling up to capacity. We may just have to cut our losses with Texas. Well, well. You know, you know, just to let you know that I'm not being abnormally hard on this guy, um, I want to just give you an idea of what he's done. He has, this is what he claims, that after 70 years of studying Scripture, he has come to a profound insight that gives him 100% certainty that Jesus Christ is going to return on uh, May 21st around 6 p.m., um, and that's uh, Eastern Standard Time. And he says that it's going to be delayed as it moves across the time zone because there's something to do with the time zone in Christ's return. That's a strange thought to me, seeing as the time zone is relatively modern. Anyway, he gets it from the Bible, he says, and this is what he's done. He's taken the numbers ten, uh, 5, 10, and 17, which are biblical numbers, as if any of them aren't biblical, I don't really get that, but uh, he takes 5, 10, and 17, multiplies them together twice, and comes up with the number 722,500. And he says that there are going to be that many days from the, days of Je- from the day of Jesus' crucifixion, which he sets at April 1st, 33 AD. And so he counts out those days, and it comes up with May 21st, 2011. And he is certain this is what the Bible teaches. Now, I've read the Bible quite a few times. And I've never seen anywhere in there where it tells us to multiply these numbers together and then count out the number of days. But for some reason, old Harold Camping is convinced that's what's going on. Now, 
The reason I've brought him up is because his billboards are across our city and every other city in the nation. He's put them all over the place. He's on many radio stations, and there's a lot of people who are believing what he's saying. That's shocking. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ said would happen after his ascension until the day he returns. Jesus Christ's own disciples were shocked by something Jesus said, just like this occurrence is rather shocking, that thousands of people would follow this guy. I read of a guy who, who gave up his life savings in order to buy more billboards in his city. He bought all kinds of stuff. He spent every penny he's got. And he says, I've left my job. I've spent all my money to help prepare for people so they'll know Jesus is going to return. It's shocking. Something shocking was said to the disciples about the temple being destroyed. And it prompted them to ask the question, what is going to be the sign of the end of the times? And when are these things going to occur? The disciples come to Jesus and ask him that question. Jesus responds with the answer, and the answer is Matthew 24 and 25. In Jesus' response, he is clearly communicating. He he is not answering the question as the disciples asked it. Jesus has a much more significant agenda in answering their question. One that does not really address specifically the issues of when or what. But something much more important for each one of us today. And so I want to dig in a little bit more into Matthew chapter 24. Let's start reading together in verse 15. Okay, here we go. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea should flee to the mountains. Those who are on the housetop should not go down to get their stuff in the house. Those who are in the field should not turn back to get their cloak. Woe to those who are with child, who are nursing in those days. Pray that your flight will not come in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world, nor will ever be. If those days had not been cut short, none would have been saved. But on account of the elect, those days were cut short. Then when someone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe them. For false Christs and false prophets will rise, and they will perform great signs and marvels, so as to deceive, if possible, even those who are chosen, the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. Therefore, when they say to you, Behold, he's in the desert. Don't go out there. Behold, he's in the inner chamber. Don't believe him. Just as the lightning comes from the west and appears into the east, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Where there are 
corpses, vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the nations of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and much glory. And he will send his angels after a great trumpet. And they will gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. That sound easy to you? There's a lot of stuff in there. And I suspected this morning as you hear me read these, these terms, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, stars falling from the sky, that, that we are creating some distinct camps in this room. Camp number one is... Uh, those people in here that really are not very familiar with end times terminology. You hear words like Abaddon and Armageddon and the four horsemen and the seven seals and tribulation and you're like, I don't know what in the world all that is. But you do know and you are confident that Jesus Christ is going to return. You're not sure about all the stuff that you hear when you hear those terms, but you're confident because you've been told and taught and you've read some of the many passages that communicate that Jesus Christ is going to return. And you're pretty okay with not knowing all this other stuff and you're just content with Jesus Christ is going to return and that's all I really need to know. That's camp number one. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who's in that camp, but I'm certain there are some of you in that camp. Camp number two are those in this room who have done some end time study. You've read some books, more than just the Left Behind series. You've done more than just watch the movies. You've actually read some other material dealing with end times. You're familiar with and comfortable with some of the terms and the definitions. The glossary of the end times is familiar language to you. You have pretty good opinions about what these things are, whether or not they've occurred. And you've come in this morning with a preconceived understanding about the end times. And so when I mention these things like the abomination of desolation or the great tribulation, you already have an idea of what that is. And so depending on whether or not I say what you think it is, is going to depend on whether or not you keep listening. And so that's probably camp number two. And then camp number three is, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. I'm not sure I care yet. You know, and you're just kind of like, I'm not sure what's going on here. You know, you may be at some degree or another, uh, just not really certain what's happening and what I'm getting at today. And the end time stuff sounds a little bit more like science fiction than anything you want to deal with. Well, here's what I'd like to do today. My, my goal is, is to try to move us all to one camp on the same page. 
I'm going to call that camp number four. I, I really want us all to get there. And here's what camp number four is. It's simply understanding what Jesus wants us to understand from Matthew 24. All right? I, I want us to move out of where we are as we came into this place. And I want us all to arrive at simply understanding the message that Jesus Christ intended his disciples to get when he shared this information with them on that day on the Mount of Olives. This was recorded so that you and I would someday read this and understand exactly what Jesus Christ was saying to us through what he said to his disciples. So that's my goal this morning, and I want us to get there. We got, we got some problems, though. One problem is that, that some of us have come into this place with some understandings that are pre-understandings, conceptions towards this stuff that might actually deter us from getting to camp number four. And so in order to encourage all of us, whether we are camp one, two, or three, to, to be willing to move, let me just share a couple things with you. Number one, those of you in camp number one, there are some things in Scripture that are more than just Jesus' returning. And they're there for a reason. All right? And I know that you may not be comfortable with some of that. I know that it may seem a little overwhelming, but hopefully today as we walk through this, you can grasp a little bit more clearly why Jesus and the rest of Scripture, why He has communicated some things about the end times for His followers. And so I want you to be willing to move into camp number four and see what Jesus wants us to understand. Now those of you in camp number two, I want you to remember that if you have already defined these things that are characterizing the end times, these, these things that have to do with the what, and really communicate for you some kind of idea with, of the when, I want you to let go of some of those things and that tight grip you've got on your understanding and hold them a little bit more loosely. And here's why. Because if you have defined these things that Jesus talks about with such certainty that you know they have not yet occurred, then you will have a very hard time living out a red alert readiness, which dismisses a great deal of what Jesus Christ and the rest of Scripture urges us to be, living as if He could return at any moment. Well, if you know that none of these things have happened, He's not coming back. And I just want to encourage you to, to maybe... Let go a little bit on your pre-understanding and maybe just listen for what Jesus Christ intends us to understand and make a move to camp number four. There's one other thing that might help us all, not just those in camp number two, to remember is one of our caveats that we had last week, that there is only one end times expert. And I was reading an interview of, of a supposed end times expert, expert this last week, and uh, his name is Paul Meyer. Let me read to you what he said, a little bit about him and then what he said. Paul Meyer is known as an end times expert. He studied prophecies in depth. He spent eight years, catch this, eight years memorizing and meditating on prophecy verses for up to four hours a day, most every single day. Now, he's got it on us. I mean, he, anybody else done that in here? He wrote a fictional series, The Third Millennium. Anybody read that? Anybody? Yeah, it wasn't very popular. 
he wishes it had been as popular as the Left Behind series, but uh, he says that in his interview. It's kind of funny. He has a medical degree, a degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, where he taught for 12 years. He knows the scripture, and this is what he said. I believe the Bible is always right, but purposely very vague, indirect, and often telescopic when it comes to prophecy. Now, here's what he means by telescopic. He means that in some cases, Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled multiple times in multiple centuries of the future. And so he's saying that the Old Testament prophecy is intentionally vague, indirect, and telescopic. He says, I believe God will clear things up when he is good and ready to. And he won't choose some arrogant TV evangelist begging for millions of dollars to make the announcement. Harold Camping. Uh, God resists the arrogant and gives grace to the humble. So to be honest, I'm not an expert on Bible prophecy. I'm an expert on the subject of why no one in his right mind can be an expert on Bible prophecy. I think that's a pretty good insight there and one that we should pay attention to. No one in his right mind should claim to be an expert on Bible prophecy in the end times. So that's not what we're going to try to do today because there's no real point in that. What we want to do is make sure we understand exactly what Jesus Christ intends us to understand. So let's make a move today to camp number four, no matter where we started when we came into this place. Okay, let's walk through the text here verse by verse. I want you to keep in mind the question of the disciples was, what's going to happen? When is it going to happen? And so Jesus is answering their question. And his emphasis from the moment he opened his mouth to answer the question is on how they would live no matter what happened and no matter when the end came. That's been his emphasis. And now he's getting into some things that characterize specifically occurrences that would indicate Christ's return. And let's, let's read through these. He says, first of all, when you see the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke about. The abomination of desolation, many believe, happened in the intertestamental times when Antiochus Epiphanes came in and made a sacrifice in conquering the Jews, made a sacrifice at the temple on the altar, and he sacrificed a pig. And uh, when that occurred... The record of intertestamental writing says that was the fulfillment of what Daniel prophesied in his prophecy. And then you have Jesus here saying that it is yet to occur. That something's going to happen. And in the Jewish mindset, they would immediately connect that with what Daniel said and what happened in their history with the sacrifice on the altar in the temple of a swine. And so they would recognize me that Jesus is pointing towards something that is going to happen in the temple that is absolutely horrible, desecrates, and blasphemes the God of Israel. And has that happened yet? Let's keep going. We'll come back to that question in just a moment. And he says you need to flee and tells all these things that they need to do if you're on the house, housetop, you need, you need to go down and get your stuff. You need to get out for your life. And he's describing what's happening surrounding this abomination of desolation. And then he talks about this great tribulation. Verse 21. 
that there will be this great tribulation. Now, if you're living in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and the Romans come in, and they sacrifice and they worship to their gods, they destroy the temple, they ransack Jerusalem, they kill tons of people, enslaving many others, and they totally destroy that area. Are you going to think that there's been an abomination, abomination of desolation? Are you going to think you've entered into a great tribulation? You absolutely are. When Jesus Christ is forecasting a great tribulation here, those who are living would have seen their occurrences, the experiences they went through in just 30 to 40 years as something that Jesus was telling them about. Now, is it possible that that wasn't the great tribulation that Jesus is talking about here? If you look through all of history, history has been smattered with great tribulation for followers of Christ. There have been times in history where we would say, that's got to be some Something like this great tribulation, or that's got to be the Antichrist. I mean, World War II, it was known and believed by everyone. Virtually many, many Christians believed that Hitler was the Antichrist. They were convinced. So has the great tribulation occurred? Let's keep working. Now, before we go any further, let's, let's jump back up to verse 14. Because it's one of the other elements of the end times. It says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world and then the end will come? Has the gospel been proclaimed in the entire world? Well, many people today would say, no, we're still seeking to do that. We have X number of unreached people that have never heard the gospel. Many people who represent tribes or nations that have never experienced any proclamation of the gospel all over the world. In fact, there are some who believe we have to reach each one of those tribes before Christ can return. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I'm not an expert on the end times. The false prophets, false Christ saying, here's the Christ, there's the Christ, don't believe them. He's told us in advance, verse 26, he's in the desert, he's in the inner chamber, don't believe them. And then in verse 27, talks about lightning coming from the west to the east, and that's going to be like the Son of Man's return. And then he makes this statement about corpses and vultures. I mean, does anybody have a clue what in the world that is? I mean, this, this stuff in here is, is vague. J- Jesus Christ has given a series of statements that don't have the specifics For anyone to be able to say with certainty that they know 100% this has occurred or this has not yet occurred. There's a reason that that Jesus Christ is giving this kind of an answer. Now there's a couple ways that we could understand this whole idea of corpses and vultures. One is where people who have rejected Christ are, judgment will find them out. Where the spiritually dead are, judgment's not far behind. Another one is that uh, no one has to worry about trying to find Jesus when he returns because Jesus will find them. 
I don't know that I like either one of those possibilities. I don't even know what this means. I'm not sure. But I know that when Jesus said this, and he said these things in this way, he intended us to respond to what we did understand. And there's a good chance that this statement in 28 is a proverbial statement that they would have better understood. It probably has something to do with the fact that where something's occurring, something else is going to follow. It doesn't change anything about what we're supposed to understand here. 29 says, immediately after the tribulation, all these things are going to happen with the things in heaven, the sun, the moon, the stars, the powers of heaven. Now that's the one thing that uh, pretty clearly has not occurred. And it, because it is so clear that the sun continues to shine and the moon continues to give off its light and the stars have not yet fallen out of the sky, that this is of a different category than what Jesus Christ has previously said. Now this one does not have to um, mean that Jesus Christ can't return quickly. This is something that could happen rather quick within minutes or hours, right before Jesus Christ returned. So this doesn't really stop us from seeing these other things that Jesus said as possibly having already occurred or maybe not yet fully occurring. We're still in a position we're just not sure with certainty what really has or has not happened. And then Jesus says there can be a sign in the heaven of the Son of Man. And then he's going to come. So whatever that sign is, that's going to occur right before he comes. So we know that that thing has not happened. But will happen very quickly in, in connection with Christ's return. Now have all these things occurred? If you look at the next section, verses 32 through 35, Jesus actually says in the verse 34, and he prefaces this by saying, you know, the fig tree, the fig tree, its branches become tender, it leaves out. And you know, when that happens, summer is coming. He says, so when these things happen, you know that I'm at the door. And then in verse 34, he says, truly I say to you, This generation will not pass away until all these things come about. Now these things, by necessity, refer to the things that could and did occur previous to Christ's coming. The destruction of the temple. The tribulation that occurred in Jerusalem. Does not refer to the things like the sun falling or the moon not showing its light, the stars. Those things happen right before Jesus Christ returns. Jesus tells the people that are there that all these things will happen during that generation. And if you're alive and you're hearing Jesus' words then and you live through 70 AD, you're reflecting back on what Jesus said and you are waiting for the sun to be darkened, for the moon not to give its light, for the stars to fall, for the sign of the Son of Man to appear in the sky, for Jesus to return. That's all you're waiting for. And you believe it could happen any day. Now, there's no question that we could look at this idea of this generation will not pass away 
in several ways give opportunity for these things to be even more future than 70 A.D. But again, it's possible, the way Jesus has said this, that all these things have been fulfilled and Jesus could return at any time. So how should we understand this passage? I think we should understand it just like those Jesus spoke to understood it. And they understood it as an encouragement to continue to believe in Jesus Christ and his words alone. No matter what happened and no matter when it might happen. And to view the ebb and flow of history as a constant encouragement to anticipate the coming of Christ as if it could be tomorrow. Because throughout all of history, we have seen the the things occur that represent fulfillment of various prophecies. Is it the final fulfillment? I don't know. No one knows. No one is an expert on these things except God Himself. But everything that occurs through history that looks like or appears like this could be the final fulfillment of what Jesus Christ has said is meant to move us to the place that Jesus Christ is intending to move us. Red alert living. Living as if He could return at any moment. Living because we know He will return. We have to make sure that we are responding to what Jesus Christ has said and He has been intentionally vague in these prophecies. And don't think that's abnormal. That is the consistent pattern of all of Scripture. I love what Wayne Grudem says in his book, Systematic Theology. He actually says that uh, it is the nature of biblical prophecy to make it possible for every generation to live in expectancy of the end. This is the nature of biblical prophecy. It's been given to us in such a way that we will not be so consumed with the what or the when that we will be misled. Do you notice that Jesus Christ is constantly warning his followers, don't believe him, don't go out there, don't buy into this, don't be misled, don't think that's me, don't think that's my work, don't think I've come. And the reason is because if you get too wrapped up in the what and the when, you will be deceived. Jesus' answer was not the specifics of the what and the when. Jesus' answer is, you keep following me and what I have said, and you will be saved. You'll be okay. Follow me, no matter what, no matter when, as if I'll come tomorrow. You follow me. That's the point. As the abomination of desolation occurred, there are some in history that say, absolutely. What do we say? It may have. It may not have. But we are waiting for the Lord as if it has. We're going to live ready. Red, alert, living. Does that make sense? So what has Jesus Christ said specifically? What has he said clearly? Well, there are two things that I think we've got to walk away with here. Number one is, you are going to have trouble in this life. And that trouble is not going to stop until Christ returns. I mean, Jesus Christ has made it pretty clear after he ascends that there is going to be consistent trouble until he returns. And some of it could be really, really bad 
for those who follow him. That's a guarantee. The second thing that you've got to know clearly from what Jesus Christ says is that he is going to return. His return is going to be unmistakable. And he's going to return as judge and savior. Judge for those who do not believe in him. That's why the nations will mourn in verse 30 and 31. And savior for those who believed in Christ and they'll be gathered together in the ends of the earth. Those are the two things that we know for sure that Jesus Christ is saying here. There's going to be a lot of trouble from the day I ascend to the day I come back. You're going to be living right in the middle of it. But guess what? I will come back. And if you believe in me, I'm going to save you right out of all that stuff. He is encouraging us to be people who keep on believing no matter what. And I don't want you to miss the lavishing amount of encouragement He is just pouring out. Jesus Christ is seeking to encourage in an incredible way. There are several beholds in this passage. You notice each one of them are a behold by a false Christ or a false prophet except one. There is one behold that is from Jesus Christ, the truth. In the midst of all these claims, Jesus says, behold, verse 25, behold, I have told you in advance. I want you to know these things that could mislead you before they happen so they won't mislead you. I want you to keep following me, me alone, and what I've said alone. Pretty amazing. Jesus also gives multiple commands throughout this passage. And every single one of the commands, just in the one we read, there's like eight commands. Every single one of those commands is a command where Jesus communicates his concern over our lives and our eternity. He says, when this stuff happens, you need to run. You need to flee to the mountains. If you're on the housetop, you need to not go get your stuff. You need to get out, save your life, get out of there. He is giving them commands in the midst of something very horrible. He wants them to survive it so they might continue in the faith. And we saw last week for the spread of the gospel. He wants us to continue in the faith. And he gives all these commands because he cares about our lives. Jesus Christ cares about us. He wants us to keep believing. In addition to that, it says that the Lord cut short the days of the great tribulation for the sake of those who are chosen. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is some point in history where He has or He will cut short the experience of difficulty for their life's sake so they won't die in that misery. Jesus Christ is conveying how much He cares about us, how much He's going to rescue us, how much He wants us to keep going no matter what, no matter how, how hard it gets. Jesus Christ knows and He is there to rescue. Unbelievable encouragement that God gives us through this passage. It's just incredible what He gives. He says, he says His return is unmistakable. He says, look, you're going to see all these claims to my return. He says, look, my return is going to be like lightning flashing from the east to the west. You can't miss it. You can hear all these claims. Don't believe anything. Don't believe anything anyone says. When I return, you won't miss it. 
You don't have to worry about being deceived because I've already told you what you need to know. When I come back, no one's going to miss it. He is encouraging us to trust Him and to follow Him. And then He says that He's going to send His angels throughout all the earth, throughout the, to the ends of the earth, to gather in His elect. Now you notice the first part of this passage begins with, you need to flee far and wide. And the last part of this passage says, I don't care how far you fled. I don't care how wide you've gone. My angels are going to find you. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to rescue you out of this. I'm going to take you home. Why has Jesus told us that? Because he wants us to keep trusting in him. He loves us. He cares about us. And he cares a whole lot more about how we live while we wait than knowing anything specific that might actually work to mislead us. You think about your life. You do a lot of stuff in your life to prepare for things that have a varying degree of certainty. I mean, the reason why people are signing up for VBS is because we're preparing for VBS to occur in a week in June. And we have a pretty good degree of certainty that VBS is going to occur, so we're preparing for that event. Some of you are preparing for retirement. You're saving money each month preparing for something that you have some degree of certainty will occur. Does anyone here know with 100% certainty that retirement will happen for you? Those people that I know that are retired tell me that retirement still hadn't happened for them. I mean, some of you are preparing for your kid's college education. Do you know that's going to happen? Some of you, and, and I hope most of us who drive have got auto insurance. But you've purchased auto insurance preparing for an accident that you don't even know is going to happen. You hope doesn't happen, but you've prepared for something with very small degree of certainty, virtually no certainty. We spend our lives preparing for things with varying degree of certainty. What Jesus Christ wants us to understand from this passage is His return is 100% certain. Are you ready? You will meet Jesus face to face either when you die or when He returns. There is 100% certainty of one of those two things ending your life. Are you prepared? Are you living? Red, alert, living. You keep on believing. No matter what. No matter when. As if he could return tomorrow. There's no better way to be prepared. No better way to wait. No better way to live red alert. I hope you're ready today.